Joseph chooses his response on how to handle this situation, not primarily based on his own emotions, but rather it's based on what is righteous. What is the right thing to do? Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. In preparation for the Christmas season, I thought it would be a good idea to hear from some of our staff and get their thoughts on the Christmas story. So for this episode and in the next two, we'll be hearing from our Bible School Principal, John Forrest, Camp Director, Connor Patterson, and Assistant Camp Director, as well as Field Representative, Kevin Martin. In this episode, we'll be hearing from John, who will be taking a look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and he'll share with us his thoughts with regards to Joseph. You know, when your dreams and desires don't turn out the way you anticipated, just how do you respond? Do you find it difficult to do the right thing or even know what the right thing is to do? John will remind us that in those times of disappointment and confusion, we are to continue to look to the Lord by faith. What a great reminder. So without any further delay, Let's hear from John. Hello, everybody. It is great again to be with you and just have this opportunity to share a a Christmas devotion with you all. It's just a wonderful time of the year, and it's always such a gift to be able to just come and talk about just the good news of Jesus uh, in whatever setting the Lord puts us in. And so I just want to jump right into it. and I wanted to just take a little bit of time reflecting on one of the characters in the Christmas story that honestly just doesn't get uh, very much attention, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, because he's not a prominent or a primary character, though I do think it's just uh, interesting, some of the observations that we can make specifically about Joseph. Uh, we talk a lot about Mary and uh, and just her getting to carry the Christ child, and uh, and yet we sometimes, I think, can overlook uh, Joseph's character and just some of the things that the Lord says to him, the angel of the Lord speaks to him, and then just some of the, the responses that Joseph has. And again, every character in this story is uh, is significant, and it's so neat to see how the Lord is working through individuals in the midst of all of their weaknesses and their brokenness uh, and expressing himself through them. And we just get to see some wonderful images of faith and obedience. And so I just want to take a little bit of time to look at Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, we read, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. There are so many moments in life that people anticipate and look forward to, uh, but I think one of the most highly anticipated moments in a person's life as they grow up and become an adult is their wedding day. Uh, and I think even as little kids, I have four daughters, uh, and and so I, I understand this idea that even as little girls, you know, people can be anticipating their wedding day. It, it's amazing how much we can be looking forward to something that even as children, but also as adults, we don't fully comprehend how it's going to change our lives, what it's going to be like. There's just no way to understand it. But we know it's something that our hearts long for. We see in Scripture that it's something that God's designed us for, though he doesn't call everyone to marriage. But we see this as a good thing that he's given to us. And we look forward to our wedding day uh, because we've fallen in love with this other person who is so dear to us, and we cherish the relationship that we have with them. And this is, you think of the night the night before the wedding, uh, and just the, the excitement and the nerves, and this is the just a, a precious moment uh, in our lives when we get to be joined together and we take our vows and the covenant is established between a man and a woman. This is a, a good thing. It, it's precious. And sometimes it seems like as we look at these precious moments, another thing that I think many people look forward to is is that moment when the baby finally arrives, you know, that the wife is pregnant and, and they're anticipating spending nine months getting ready for this young child to arrive. And then the day finally comes and it's excruciating. And yet, once that baby comes and has come into the arms of the mother, it's just a precious moment. And we long for this. We anticipate getting to become a husband or a wife or a father or a mother. And yet sometimes God in his wisdom sees it as appropriate and legitimate to orchestrate or to permit events in such a way that we feel robbed of getting to experience these precious moments, which so many other people seem to get to enjoy without any hindrance, without obstacles, you know, that we anticipate hopefully one day getting married and then it's... 20, 30, 40 years, and still marriage hasn't happened. And yet it's something that maybe somebody's really looked forward to. And they look around and they see so many other people, their friends, all getting married and enjoying that relationship, that companionship. And we can feel, in a sense, robbed of the experience, not getting to enjoy this wonderful thing that God has designed. And the same can be true of parenting, that uh, of a married couple that longs to have children, and yet God, for whatever reasons he has, has seen fit that, uh, that some couples have to wait a long period of time or maybe even never experience 
the precious moment of getting to be a father or a mother. And when we come to the story of Joseph, he's anticipating his marriage, he's engaged to Mary. And when we see the angel show up, uh, or we, we see that Joseph first finds out that Mary is pregnant. You know, he, he just wished that I could be a fly on the wall in that conversation. And maybe Mary came and told him in person. Maybe she had already left to go stay with Elizabeth for a while. And then he hears from somebody else that she's expecting. It doesn't tell us how Joseph initially finds out that his fiance is pregnant. But when when he finds out, we <laughs> it doesn't take much imagination to think about some of the thoughts that possibly went through his mind. And the heartache, the discouragement, the, the brokenness over that. And we can feel pity for Joseph. Uh, because as this story unfolds, we see that he feels there's this precious moment that he's been looking forward to. The, the day of marriage, and now something has come up. His fiance is pregnant, and he seems distraught or you know challenged to figure out, what do I do now? How do I handle this situation? And curiously enough, you know, God gives us a little bit of insight into how this this news impacted Joseph. Uh, or Sorry, he gives us very little insight. We don't read anything in the scripture about Joseph's emotional response to hearing the news that his fiance is with child. All we hear is his actions. We don't hear if he's torn up with grief. We don't know if he has a sense of betrayal, if he's beating himself up and saying, man, I should have been a better judge of character. <laughs> I really I really miss misread Mary. I thought she was uh, someone of more integrity than that. Was he really angry? You know, did he lash out at people? We have no idea his emotional response to the things that were going on. But we can assume, I believe, that he is very heavy-hearted over the situation. Whether he's blaming Mary, blaming himself, angry with the Lord, it doesn't tell us. But we, we know that his heart is grieved over the situation that he finds himself in. And, you know, that the Lord doesn't see it necessary to record Joseph's emotional response to the situation, but God does see it as appropriate and good to shed some light on Joseph's activity. What does he actually do? And again, we don't have any idea. Uh, it doesn't say clearly how much time passed between when Joseph first found out that Mary is pregnant to the time that he has made the decision in his own mind to send her away and to break off the engagement. It doesn't tell us uh, if that happened the same day that he found out. You know, he finds out that she's expecting, and then immediately he says, you know what, we have to break this off. Maybe he's wrestling through this for a week, for weeks, maybe for a month or multiple months. We don't know. The, the, the word of God doesn't tell us, 
But the Lord does reveal Joseph's final decision about how to handle the situation. And it's interesting, you know, in verse, uh, verse 19, it says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared. And you know, it would have been a lot easier if the angel had shown up maybe a day earlier, a month earlier. Why is it that the Lord determined to not have the angel appear to Joseph until Joseph finally made a decision to send Mary away? All of the the turmoil that was in this man's heart over what to do. It seems like God God could have kept him from having to experience that that struggle in his own heart and mind over what is the right thing to do in this situation. Instead, God lets Joseph wrestle with it. He lets Joseph have the time to consider what is the right response to the news I've heard that my fiance is expecting. And, you know, God lets him wrestle through this, uh, and, and he does it, Joseph wrestles to the point that Joseph eventually chooses his response, but I think God wants us to see Joseph chooses his response on how to handle this situation, not primarily based on his own emotions, but rather it's based on what is righteous. What is the right thing to do? What is the righteous response? And we think of, you know, there's few things we would consider to be more hurtful than uh, a fiancé that is unfaithful to the one to whom they are engaged. That's just heartbreaking. And in the, the assumption would have been that Mary had been unfaithful. And yet Joseph's response to the all the indicators that would seem to say that Mary has been unfaithful, Joseph's response to his fiance who's been unfaithful is one which says, I want to treat her rightly. I want to respond in righteousness. I'm sure there were days when Joseph really was wrestling with bitterness or frustration or self-pity, despair, and, and tempted to be just angry at Mary. And yet, that is not what determined his response and activity to the situation, his emotions, his own heartache, but rather what determined his response is indicated in verse 19, when it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. Joseph was righteous. He had a fear of God and faith in God. He loved the Lord. And from that love for the Lord, he also loved Mary, and he did not want to disgrace her. So because he didn't want to disgrace her, 
he he sought to respond to the situation in such a way that would be a testimony of righteousness and would be considerate and thoughtful towards the one who had betrayed him, in his mind, who had betrayed him. Though we know that Mary hadn't done anything wrong, but for all appearances, from Joseph's perspective, she would have. So, God lets Joseph wrestle with this, uh, and we see that Joseph finally makes a decision. We don't know how much time went by, but eventually he makes a decision and responds in such a way that communicates righteousness. And we see that in you know 33 years down the road, Jesus is going to do the same exact thing, that he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane and filled with all kinds of emotions, and he's going to be despairing of what is in front of him. And yet, Jesus does not make the decision about what to do next based on his, the, the intensity of his emotions. Even though everyone, around, everyone else around him would have said, Jesus, you are justified to flee, to preserve your life. You are justified to, to not do this. But Jesus wasn't listening primarily to other people's emotional support suggestions but rather, Jesus listens to his Father, and he does what is righteous, what is good, and what is going to be for the well-being of the people whom he cares about. And so Jesus willingly goes to the cross, not because he really felt like it, like he felt really good about it, but rather he goes to the cross because he's righteous. And being righteous, he does that which is right, that which is good. And so we see Joseph illustrating that even here, before Jesus is even born. So righteous acts are driven by faith in what is true, rather than merely a response to what we're feeling. Doing that which is right and good stems from faith, not from feeling. And we see that with Joseph. He's looking at the situation and his feelings would say, let's shame Mary. Let's disgrace her. Let's put her out publicly because this is terrible what she's done. She deserves it. But righteousness responds in faith, not by feeling. And the feelings are not inherently wrong, but they are not what determines that which is right. God himself does. He is the one who is good. And so Joseph is declared this righteous man who's wrestled through these things. Uh, and we know that righteousness, we, we see in Abraham, righteousness is, is declared or reckoned based on faith. Joseph is a man of faith. He's believing in the Lord. And yet, even though he's a man of faith and he fears the Lord, still, if he did have a personal conversation with Mary about her pregnancy, if she did tell him uh, the child in me was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, even in his faith, being a man of faith, he still recognizes the reality of God's design in the world. And he says, you know, it, again, this is all a hypothetical conversation. We don't know if he and Mary actually uh, had a face-to-face conversation about her pregnancy. But, but even in the midst of his finding out, and if he did hear from somebody that Mary was proclaiming that it was 
God who put the child in her womb and that she's still a virgin and she's never had relations with a man, that Joseph, in a place of righteous faith, still decides that he needs to put her away because he recognizes, he recognizes this is not how conception works. And I don't think his decision to send Mary away is a decision made out of unbelief, but rather it's made out of faith. He's wanting to do that which is treating Mary well. And I say that because as soon as the angel shows up and talks to Joseph personally about what's taking place in Mary and that the child is of the Holy Spirit, we see Joseph's response. And Joseph uh, Joseph does not argue with the angel. He, he doesn't have lots of questions. But similar to Mary's response to the angel who says, Behold the servant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to, to what you said. Joseph similarly simply accepts what the angel says, which is fascinating to me. You know, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, God promises them a son in their old age. And it says that Abraham believed on the Lord, that God would keep that promise, even though they were as good as dead, that they were too old to bear children. And I think, man, that would take a lot of faith. Uh, What a testimony of faith to believe that God could do that miracle. But then we come to the story of Joseph and Mary, and the angel comes to Joseph and says, guess what? Your fiance is pregnant, but she's still a virgin. That's a whole nother level of faith in my mind. Like that, that, is, that is such a greater leap of impossibility and supernatural than simply an old couple conceiving. Here we have a woman who's conceiving who's never been with a man. That is impossible in every way. And yet Joseph hears the angel's instructions, hears the angel's words, and he was like, okay, makes sense. No problem. Uh, he d- doesn't say he responds away, but he just, he obeys. Uh, it says that in verse 24, after Joseph has this visit from the angel, Joseph awoke from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And took Mary as his wife. That's an incredible verse. Joseph wakes up, remembers what the angel had just spoken to him, and he is willing to take Mary as his wife, fully believing that the child in her is the Son of God. What a miracle. What a miracle of faith. And so then, from there, uh, you know, we see initially Joseph had intended to to send Mary away because he didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to shame her. Uh, he wanted to treat her well. And while Joseph sought to minimize Mary's shame, we just recognize that no matter what he did, no matter how he responded to that situation, he would never be able to actually take away Mary's shame. You know, that if he had sent her away, he may have tried to make the landing a little softer for her, but she was always going to be shamed and disgraced by the people in her circle, you know, in her community. She was always going to have that label on her as one who had been unfaithful and had a child out of wedlock. 
And Joseph wants to minimize that shame and that disgrace that that she would have felt. Uh, But Joseph could never take it away. He could never remove the shame. He could never remove the disgrace that would have been cast on Mary. And it's just worth noting, again, that we we can do nothing to remove our own shame our own disgrace. We can do nothing for others to remove it. We can try to treat people in such a way that it gives them a little softer landing. Maybe it helps minimize it. But the reality is we are simply powerless to remove shame. And yet, we see that that is, that is exactly what Jesus does. First, Jesus enters into the world, and his life from the beginning is characterized as a life that's willing to subject itself to the scorn of others by joining himself to those that are shamed or disgraced, to join himself with those that are separate. At the incarnation, when Jesus takes on the likeness of humanity, and comes as a baby. God comes in the likeness of a man, and he subjects himself. He subjects himself to human frailty. He subjects himself to human needs, and he's this fragile little baby. God in Christ, as a baby, is shamefully helpless. As a baby... He can do nothing for himself. As God, he can, but as a baby, he can't. And so at the incarnation, we see Jesus embracing a posture that is going to be perceived as disgraceful, vulnerable, shameful. And he does that in order to come near and draw near to those who likewise are helpless, vulnerable, and seemingly disgraced. Jesus lives his life, and he spends so much of his time with the sick, the poor, the needy, the outcast, the broken, the tax collectors, the ones that nobody else would be with. Jesus goes to the ones who have been cast aside, and he does that intentionally. Just like Joseph moves towards the one who is in a place of vulnerability and shame, And he wants to minimize that. Jesus also moves towards the brokenhearted. Moves towards those that feel weak. And then at the the cross, we see the impossible take place. That he who is fully God dies. Nothing could be perceived as more embarrassing and shameful as the divine creator of the universe, than to actually be subject to death. And Jesus willingly places himself under this position that would be perceived as disgraceful and shameful as God. And he endures it. And he does it in order that he may bring many to himself. And so as we consider the Christmas story, 
we consider Joseph, as we consider Joseph, we should not help but be able to consider Jesus. Joseph makes decisions that go against logic. He does not respond in retaliation to to Mary, but instead he responds in righteousness to his God. And from his position of faith, he is controlled by what is of God's will and not by what is of his own emotions, what he might feel entitled to or what other people might tell him he's entitled to. Joseph responds moving towards the one who is in a position of vulnerability. And that is such a a small glimpse of the reality of what Christ himself has done. At the incarnation, becoming a baby. In his life, living among the outcasts. And then in his death, doing that which seems absurdly foolish to everyone who's ever heard him express that he is the Messiah. Surely the Messiah, the Son of God, would not die. And Jesus does this. He places himself in situations which people can perceive as being disgraceful to him as God. And he does it willingly from a desire to draw all men to himself. And the angel said to Joseph, the reason why Jesus has come and God has given this child to Mary is so that this child can deliver the world, save man from his sins. That's why God moves forward, subjecting himself in order to obey his father and to serve others. And so as we enter into the season, as we're in the Christmas season, not enter into it, but as we spend time with family and friends and get some time off work or whatever it is that we're doing, may we just be reminded of the heart of God, that it is not outside of God's design for him to, at times, Keep us from experiencing these precious moments that others seem to be able to enjoy. But the reason why God, in a sense, robs Mary and Joseph of the precious enjoyment of a normal engagement in marriage is for his own purposes of redemption, his own workings in the world. And the reason why we may experience shame, loss, a sense of feeling disgrace because of certain circumstances that are outside of our control, may we consider Jesus and be encouraged in the heart of God towards us and his accomplished work that Christ has come to remove our shame, to bring us into adoption as sons and daughters of God, to save us from our sins. Praise God. Have a Merry Christmas. Well, we're in the last week of the semester. As a matter of fact, the students will be going home tomorrow, so there's a lot happening on the hilltop this week. And this being the case, I want to thank John for making the preparations to record this devotion during such a busy time. And since this is the end of the semester and the students are going home, 
I would ask that you be praying for the students as well as the staff in our travels over the break. That we would know the Lord's favor, that it would be a profitable break for us, and that we be ready to return in January with hearts desiring what the Lord has to teach us. We have a few students who will be finishing up their year tonight at our graduation, and I ask that you pray for them as they go home, that they know the Lord's wisdom in continuing on with Him. And also, I would ask that you pray for the new students who are coming to begin their year in January, that they would know the Lord's favor in fitting in with the returning students, and that this be a profitable year for them. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the His Hill Podcast. Remember, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We'll see you next week.